0: If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. We continue in our study of the life of Abram. In chapter 15, we saw that God entered into covenant with Abram. Now in chapter 17, the covenant is confirmed and sealed. What we find are actually two stages, two steps, two sides of the same coin, if you wish, of the same transaction. In chapter 15, we find the pattern of grace and answering faith. Now in chapter 17, we find the implications of that covenant. In chapter 15, nothing was required of Abraham but to believe, and he did believe, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But now in chapter 17, something is required of him. What we find is something that is not only personal for him, but for those around him and for his descendants that are to come. We find inward faith and outward seal. So let's look at chapter 17 and the story of Abram who now in this chapter is renamed Abraham. The first three verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, I will come to that. Verse in a bit. First of all, we're told that Abram is 99 years old. It's been 13 years since the birth of Ishmael, at least 14 years since chapter 15, the establishing of the covenant, 24 years since God first called him to leave his people and to go to Canaan. What is the problem? Why the delay? Why so long? I would suggest at least two reasons. First of all, that Abram's faith might be strengthened and tested. In Romans 4, we'll come to this passage several times in this sermon, because Paul deals with the question of Abraham and his faith. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. We'll see more on this next week, the Lord willing. So there is. this is a time of testing and his faith growing stronger. But secondly, as God is about to act in grace, grace can only be displayed when a person comes to the end of himself or herself. God's power is displayed when our powerlessness is recognized. I think we would rather not you know, have to go down that road. We would rather that God just showed us grace. But God's opportunity to act on our life comes when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize, I can't do it, not in my own strength. The impossibility of God's promise coming true seemed to be the case when Abram was 75. Now he's 99. It seems even more impossible. God reveals himself with a new name, another name. I am God Almighty. Some of you may be familiar with this, that in Hebrew it is El Shaddai, God Almighty. Why this name and why now? Why, Why haven't we heard this earlier? What we find in the book of Genesis, because this is, for the most part, the the book where we find this name used, we find it a couple more times in the rest of the Bible, but Genesis is really where we find El Shaddai mentioned. It always seems to be in situations when God's servants are hard-pressed, when they are in trouble, they are in need of reassurance. So, in chapter 28, Jacob is about to leave home because Esau, his brother, swears that he's going to kill him for stealing the blessing, the birthright. And Isaac sends him on his way, and he says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful. In chapter 35, he's, gone, he's now come back home to Canaan, to Bethel in particular, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. In chapter 43, uh, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt for the second time. It's a famine. And now they have to go back, but they have to take Benjamin. And Benjamin and Joseph are brothers. Joseph, is they think, is dead. And their mother, Rachel, was Jacob's favorite wife. And he didn't want to let them go or let Benjamin go with him. He said, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the men so that he will let your other brother, that's Simeon, and Benjamin come back with you. And then finally in chapter 49, when he blessed the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. Luz is also known as Bethel. Because God is able to, he is God Almighty. He is able and willing to grant a covenant relationship. And he says, I will confirm my covenant between me and you. You will greatly increase in your numbers. What about the command? And in this, in this prelude, this was the one part, I think, that really sort of got my attention. Um, Walk before me and be blameless. Yeah. The first part, walk before me, I think one of the most difficult things if you learn another language are the prepositions. In fact, you can usually tell if someone's not a native speaker because they mess up on the prepositions. I I don't know why that is, but prepositions always seem to throw us. And the idea of a a believer walking and the relationship to God is found with four different prepositions in the Bible. Here it is walk before me, Then we also hear that we are to walk after the Lord. The Israelites are told that they are to walk after the Lord. Then we are to walk with the Lord. Enoch and Noah are said to have walked with God. Then finally, we are to walk in him. This is what we find in the New Testament epistles, uh, Colossians chapter 2 in particular, that we walk in Christ. It has been suggested that each of these prepositions describes a different relationship between the believer and God. We walk in him because we are members of the body of Christ. We walk with him as friends. We walk after him as servants. The servant comes behind. But here, Abram is told that he is to walk before him. What does that mean? Well, if you think about it, when a child is learning to walk, the parent or the adult usually walks behind to, to make sure they don't fall, or if they do, they don't hurt themselves too severely. And so the sense is here, Abram, uh, you're a child, and you're learning to walk by faith, and walk before me. I'll, I'll be right behind you. I am God Almighty. I will take care of you, but you walk before me. There are times, I think, when we would prefer that God went ahead and we would follow in his steps, and there are times for that. But there are also times when we walk ahead in faith, maybe into darkness, into a fog, but God Almighty is right behind us. But what about the be blameless, walk before me and be blameless? By the way, if you, Noah is said, to have been blameless. And the question may come up, okay, the law has not yet been given, the commandments haven't been given, how do you know if you're doing what is right or if you're doing something that is wrong? Um, How do you know that you're being blameless? Uh, A simple answer for me is, I don't know. Um, There is much that the scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, It tells us what we need to know, it doesn't tell us everything we want to know. But what we do know is that Abraham is to walk. God is behind him and he's to walk on the right path and God will be there, I think, to correct him if in fact he does something that he shouldn't. And Abram's response reflects this. What is his response? He fell face down. What we find here is humility. He is overwhelmed at God's grace. It's been 13 years since Ishmael was born. Has God appeared to him at all during that time? We don't know. We don't know. Is Abram afraid that because of his unbelief and sleeping with Hagar to produce an heir, that God's like, okay, that's it. I'm done with you. But God appears to him and says, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. God has not turned his back on Abram. So now the promises. If you look at verses 4 through 8, verse number 3 ends with uh, God said to him, verse 4, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants, and after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. We have the covenant and the promises here. In chapter 12, which is the beginning of the story of Abram, we have five I wills of what God will do. Now the covenant is fleshed out. The promises are, I think, made more clear. And they basically boil down to this you will be the father of many nations. In the same way that God now revealed himself with a new name, El Shaddai, Abram's name is now changed to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Not a bad name. But Abraham means father of a multitude. Not only an exalted father, but a father of a multitude. God is revealed in a new light. I am God Almighty. Now, Abraham is seen in a new light. He's given the name Abraham. Just one thing I have made you a father of many nations. Well, at this point, he's only had Ishmael. I think it is pointing ahead to what will happen. For God, it is an accomplished fact. I have made you a father of many nations. And then you have the I will promises. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. I will give you an everlasting possession as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you the whole land of Canaan where you're now an alien. And lastly, and I think this is the crux of the matter, I will be their God. Very fruitful nations and kings We'll come to this later. I hope it doesn't throw things, but Ishmael is his first son. And then, as we will see the Lord willing, in the weeks to come, he has Isaac, the son of promise. But what a lot of people don't know, if they haven't read through Genesis, after Sarah died, Abraham took Keturah, as his wife, and she had six sons. And then we are told that before he died in his will, he gave you know, gifts, if you wish, to these six sons and the sons of his concubines. So apparently Abraham was a very fruitful guy, okay? But Isaac is the child of promise. And this promise here, of nations and kings, I think, speaks of Isaac and not of the sons that he will have uh, through Keturah and his concubines. In Romans 4, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace, may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. This is what Paul tells us. So we are those children. We are those descendants of Abraham. In Galatians 3, those who believe are the children of Abraham. This is the promise that God had made to him. So the covenant isn't simply between El Shaddai and Abraham, two new names now, God Almighty and Abraham, but between God and all of Abraham's descendants, those who are the children of Abraham, those who believe. What about the promise regarding the land, that it will be an everlasting possession? This is a subject of much debate, and for centuries people have argued over this. Um, I would suggest, and this is just my opinion, that when Judah went into exile, the covenant was broken. They had broken the covenant. Having said that, Jesus the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, in Judah, the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. The promise, though, is to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will be their God. This is the focus of the covenant of the promise. The Almighty has, in fact, initiated this covenant with Abraham or Abram, and now he's Abraham. The covenant isn't only with him, but his descendants, those who believe. But now comes the part that is quite different than what we saw in chapter 15 and in chapter 12, when God first made promises. Look, if you would, at verse 9. We'll read 9 through 14. Then God said to Abraham, as for you. You must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for generations to come, for the generations to come. This is the covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my commandment. Now, Now we have it. There is, in fact, a sign of the covenant. In chapter 15, Abraham believed. Now there is to be something else. That is, he is to embrace the practice of circumcision. Something is required of Abraham. The sign is required of Abraham and his descendants. Chapter 15, all Abraham had to do was believe. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He is a righteous man. He believed God. But now as one who has believed in God, he must now uh, be circumcised. It is a permanent mark of a permanent covenant. It is the cutting of the foreskin. It is a mark on his flesh, which says, I am in covenant with God. And failure to do so would, in fact, mean being cut off for one's people and the covenant being broken. This was the sign. So in chapter 15, he believed. In chapter 17, something is required not to make him righteous or to be accepted by God, but to show his part in the covenant. He was to be circumcised. Now we come to Sarah. Interestingly enough, because at this point, she's been sort of a bit player, has caused problems. But now we see that she's also part of the covenant, as are all those who are part of Abraham's uh, household. Look at verses 15 to 22. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah." And I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Again, things to consider. Another name change. God is now known as El Shaddai. Abram is now known as Abraham. And Sarai is now known as, or is to be known as Sarah. Interestingly enough, both Sarai and Sarah mean princess. But it is, is thought that Sarah is sort of an updated version of that name but in any case she's now part of this covenant it isn't just between Abraham and God but she is part of it as well there are two parts I will bless her and will give you a son by her okay so it's not just on Abraham but with Sarah and she will be the mother of nations and kings and people will come from her so, something is established here. Ishmael, nothing against Ishmael, but he is not the child of promise. He is not the child that God promised. Okay. It, because up to this point, we say, well, wait a minute, Abram, it's you know, from his flesh that this child came. Well, now we see it's not only from his body, from, but from Sarah's body, that he, in fact, would bring a son. A son that they would name Isaac. It's not all on Abraham. Sarah is included, which points to a miraculous fulfillment, a fulfillment which is all of grace. I will bless her. And then the fact that she will be the mother of nations and kings of people will come after her. I think this helps explain the promise made to Abraham a few verses later it's not fulfilled in Keturah and her six sons and the concubines and their sons. It's fulfilled in Isaac. It will go from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac to Jacob to his twelve sons. It is the son of Sarah who is, in fact, the promised child. And then we read once again, Abraham fell on his face in the light of God's promises. In verse number three, he did so because of God's words to him. I think he was overwhelmed by God's grace. Um, And There we found humility. Now his name has changed. He's now Abraham, father of a multitude. But what we find is laughter and not necessarily humility. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? By the way, at this point, Abraham is 99. She is 89. But if she gets pregnant by the time the child is born, she will be 90 and he will be 100. The man of faith laughs in unbelief. Or is it unbelief? How can a man who is 100 years old have a child or a woman who is 90 years old? And by the way, he uses her new name here, Sarah. How will she give birth at the age of 90? What God has promised seems impossible. For all the modern technology today, where women, for whatever reason, are having children in their 60s and 70s. I think there was a woman who had one in her uh, 70s. Um, Without all the technology for a woman at the age of 90 to give birth to a child seems impossible. But at this point, we need the New Testament to give us some context for us to understand this. Again, Romans uh, Romans 4. Without weakening in his faith... So apparently the laughing isn't a weakening of his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. The King James has, he staggered not at the promise. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He's God Almighty, El Shaddai. He can do this. But the initial reaction is, <laughs> this is, how is this going to happen? It's a wonderful promise, but how is this going to happen? I think we may fail to recognize that in trusting the Lord, there are moments in our lives when <laughs> we laugh and chuckle, yeah, this just doesn't seem like it's something that could happen. We are overwhelmed by the enormity of things. But, as one translation has it, recovering, Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Seems like a good solution. The first solution was Eliezer. I'll adopt him. He'll be my heir. Now, Ishmael is actually the fruit of his body with Hagar. Seems like a reasonable choice. Um, But God says, um, yes, but your wife Sarah will will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. Isaac, by the way, means he laughs. We'll see this again, Lord willing, next week. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. It's a wonderful Wonderful statement. I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful, will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Sarah is going to have a son. By this time next year, Abraham will be a father again and this time with Sarah. And the covenant that's now being sealed with circumcision, will be passed on to Isaac. It isn't just between God and Abraham, but between God, Abraham, and his descendants. But Ishmael's not forgotten. As I said, it's wonderful. I have heard you. I've heard what you've asked for. He is not, God is not unmoved by Abraham's request. Like, he's not the child, Okay. He's not the son of promise. No, God says, I've heard you. And I will surely bless him. I'll make him fruitful and make him um, a father of 12 rulers, make him into a great nation. But the covenant is with Isaac, the child who is not yet born. And the covenant is the point of this chapter. By this time next year, you will have a son. Named Isaac. And verse number 22, it's the end of the conversation. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Remember how the chapter opened? If you go back to verse number 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. So God has come and has spoken to Abraham, and now God has done speaking, and he goes up from him. He was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him. It's a revelation. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Changing your name, you will now be known as Abraham. There are a series of promises, a name change for Sarai, who will now be known as Sarah, a promise that she would have a son within a year, and then the promises regarding Ishmael. And then God leaves him, goes up from speaking with him. Think for a moment. Imagine yourself in Abraham's place. Not literally, with all the promises that you can have a child and all that, but when God has intervened in your life, perhaps in answer to prayer, God has done something that, on the face of it, seemed impossible, supernatural, miraculous. What was your response? What is our response when this happens? Do we tell everyone we know what has happened? Uh, Do we do a podcast so people find out about it? Do we write a book? Do we go on TV to be interviewed? I'm reminded, and bear with me, but my favorite story in the Gospels. Um, We went through this when we went through the Gospel of Mark. A man with leprosy came to him, to Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. A strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead... He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And I mentioned when we went through this uh, years ago, more than 40 years ago, when I first began to go verse by verse in my preaching, I started with Mark. And I said in my sermon that this man was wrong in what he did. He was given a strong warning, don't do... Go to the priest. Be a testimony to them. And instead, the man goes and he blabs and he tells everyone. And someone who had been visiting our church at that point spoke to me afterwards and was quite upset with me. She said, no, he did the right thing. Aren't we supposed to tell people what God has done for us? Well, in this instance, the man was given a warning, a strong warning not to do so. Leviticus 14 tells us if you have leprosy and you're cured of leprosy there are certain things you're supposed to do. This is what this man was supposed to do and he didn't do it. What does Abraham do? He's got a huge household. He's got a lot of possessions, He's got a lot of neighbors. Does he go out and blow a horn and say, listen, people, I've got to tell you some wonderful news? No. Look, if you would, at verse number 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, or bought with his money every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13 Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day and every male in Abraham's household including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner was circumcised by him. Abraham acts immediately on that very day. I mean, wouldn't you be tempted to say let me just sort of bask here in the the afterglow of being in the presence of God of God speaking to me. Or... I wonder if he's really serious about that, if he really wants me to do that. Should we set up an appointment a particular day when we're going to do that? No. On that day, Abraham, Ishmael, all the men who are in his household, those born into his household, those who were bought with his money, every male is circumcised. Abraham obeys God immediately. Immediately. He's 99 years old. It's like, you know, not as young as I used to be. Maybe we should put this off for a few days. No. He does it. Ishmael is 13. He is circumcised and all those in his household. Abraham was obedient. And he was obedient immediately. He didn't have to think about it, he didn't have to work it out. I wonder if. No, immediately on that very day, Abraham did this. Here in Genesis 17, we find the second stage, the second side to the one transaction known as the covenant. In chapter 15, God comes to him, enters into covenant, and all Abraham has to do is believe. That's it. And we read, that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is an issue I'll read it in a bit but that Paul had with the Jews are like no 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 Abraham it was credited to righteousness because he was circumcised and like no chapter 15 he believed faith was what was important and then there came a time when in fact he was to show evidence of his faith by obeying God the permanent sign of a permanent covenant. The issue, at least in the early church, um, Oscar and Zib read this to us, the the council in uh, Jerusalem. It's also an issue in the church today. Is faith necessary? Is the outward sign necessary? Is obedience necessary? Are these things necessary to be a child of God? Well, in Romans 4, Paul, writing about Abraham, said, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is it just for the Jews or for the Gentiles as well? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised, so that he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. So faith is what is important. He believed God. Then there came a time when God said, Let's, we are entered into covenant But there needs to be evidence. You are to have a mark on your flesh that shows, in fact, that we are in covenant. And the Jews in Paul's day were saying, no, 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 if you're a Gentile and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's not good enough. Yeah, faith is not enough. You need to have the seal. And Paul's like, no. Abraham was considered righteous before he was circumcised because he believed God. So the sign is not what causes one to have a status of being righteous. So I ask, is faith necessary? I would say it is. Is the outward sign necessary? I would say that it is. Is obedience necessary? I would say that it is. But think about this for a moment. We are told that on that same day, Abraham, Ishmael, and all his servants, those born into his household, those he bought from uh, merchants, they are all to be circumcised. Hmm. Did those servants believe? Did they believe? Or is it just Abraham who believed? Two things come to mind. First of all, this is all about the covenant that will ultimately lead to the Messiah. That's what this is all about. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his 12 sons, okay? And so through the rest of the Old Testament until we come to the New Testament and the birth of Jesus. But in this story, Abraham is the only Hebrew. All the rest are foreigners. Ishmael is the son of an Egyptian woman. All the rest come from different ethnic groups. Yet they were all circumcised. One writer put it this way. For Abraham, it, that is circumcision, sealed an old transaction. Chapter 15. For others, it was a sudden introduction into a bond with God. And each other, so they're not only in relationship with God, but now they are of the circumcision. They've all been circumcised, whose implications must now be grasped and lived out. In the sense that Pentecost was the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost, this, the day of circumcision, was the birthday of the church of the Old Testament. You remember that Abraham is told that he will be the father of many nations. And we're told in the New Testament that he is the father of those who believe. So on the day that they are all circumcised, in a sense, they all enter into covenant. It's only Abraham and Isaac, that the covenant that will lead to the Messiah. But all these others come into relationship. And I'm going to go ahead to chapter 24. Isaac is born. Sarah has died. Isaac is still not married. He's 40 years old. And so Abraham calls his chief servant, the chief servant of his household, and says, I want you to find a wife for Isaac. Go back to my people and find a wife for Isaac. We'll get to this in several weeks, the Lord willing. But at a certain point in the story, this is Genesis 24, he, that is the servant, had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water may it be that when I say to a girl please let down your jar that I may have a drink and she says drink and I'll water your camels too let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master I would argue that for this man and perhaps for the rest of the household the sign came before faith Because at this point, he is praying to God, the God of his master. Later on in the same chapter, then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, "'Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives.'" I would suggest to you that this man was in fact one of those circumcised on that day and we see that he prayed to God faith is important the sign is important the order may not always be what we want but Abraham believed and then there was a sign and the sign is given to his household and then apparently his household believed as well It's really a remarkable story. But remember, it's about Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And again, the Lord willing, we will continue this next week in chapter 18. Let's pray together. Our Father, you are God Almighty. We are to walk before you. You're there to catch us when we fall, to guide us when we stray. You're the God of all grace. May we be like Abraham in our obedience. We're struck by the fact that on that very day, Abraham obeyed. We would prefer, perhaps, to ponder and meditate and think about things. But you have told us that we are to love the Lord our God, to love our neighbors ourselves. We don't need to think about this. We are to do it. And in the case of Abraham, his faith preceded the sign, but we've seen in our lives and the lives of others that oftentimes we are being obedient, we're doing what we should, and then in your grace, faith breaks out. And we come to believe you in a way that we never have before. And then that faith, by your grace, results in obedience. We obey you. There are times, however, that we're like Abraham, and we just laugh at the impossibility of what we're asking for, of what you have done in our lives it doesn't seem possible. May we not stagger. May our faith grow strong. Though there may be seasons, for Abraham, it was at least 13 years in which you didn't talk to him. You're always there. You're always watching over us. Caring for us. Guiding us and teaching us. I thank you for what we have studied about Abraham. And may we put into practice what we have learned. I thank you for bringing us together on this day. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place, as we walk through the world in the coming days. Again, we thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.